apologize if you can't see me very well, but you really don't need to see me anyways. I'm not much to look at. But uh, if I stood up there today, I would either ruin all the decorations or trip and fall. So, and I can't stand out of pulpit. It makes me nervous. So we're down here. Today we're continuing on in our series on the Gospels, which we are over a year so far in. We're, if you're visiting or your first time, we are going through the Gospels in chronological order. Uh, so we are just over, like uh, about a month or so over a year in. So we've been doing this for over a year. It's going to take us over three years total to get all the way through the Gospels. But once we're done, we'll have covered every Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every, every bit of them in uh, chrono- chronological order. Today is a very special, this is one of my favorite stories in the entire Gospels. Um, so I'm really, really excited. I hope you're excited too. We're going to be focusing mainly in, the, in Mark's version. I'll bring some details from Matthew and Luke's version in, but we're going to mainly be in Mark's version because I think his is the most complete. And then I'm actually going to break this sermon up. So this, this story is two stories in one. You have, an, you have an initial story, which we'll talk about. You have an interruption to that story, and then the first story concludes. We're going to focus on the second story, so we're going to focus on Jesus healing a woman who is sick, who's been bleeding. That's what we're going to focus on. Then next week, we'll come back and look at the story through different eyes about uh, Jesus and, and Jairus' daughter. So this is going to be, so you're going to want to be here for this week and next week, probably, to get the whole story. So last week, we looked at the story where Jesus crosses into the Decapolis, a Gentile area, and he heals a man who is demon-possessed. If you remember, that man was in trouble. He was living in the cemetery, essentially. He was there, and he wasn't wearing any clothes, and he was so violent that the people in the village were unable to contain him, right, because of this demon possession. Jesus, of course, heals that, sends the demons into, into a herd of pigs, which is fascinating in and of itself. We talked about that last week. And now Jesus is going to come back to the land in which he and his disciples are used to being in. They're coming back to their comfort zone, right, their home base. That's how the story begins. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, remember he went across last week, simply for the reason to heal that man, or in some gospels, two of them, men. Now he's coming back, right? Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, which can you imagine? The disciples, by the way, getting back in the boat. What had happened on the way over? The storm, Jesus calmed the storm. Remember we talked about the fact that Jesus, that story has nothing to do with Jesus calming the storms of our life, but Jesus proclaiming to be God. Now they're back in a boat again, hoping for better weather this time as they cross back to the home base. When they get there, a large crowd had gathered around him while he's still by the lake. Every mom will understand this part of this story. Dads maybe, but moms in particular. Because the moment you're at your wit's end, the moment you, have, you are exhausted, what do the kids do? The moment you walk in the door, they cling right to you. Right? My kids will walk past me to get to their mother for something I am perfectly capable of handling. Literally walk right by me. Like, I can get you juice. Like, I can do that. I, mom's gave me that kind of security clearance. I'm able to do, I can pour juice. They'll walk right by me to get to mom, right? There's just something about mom, that, mom, 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 right? Hide in the bathroom. Try to take a bath or something? What's going to happen on the door? Knock, knock, knock. Or if they're little, they're little enough still, what's going to come underneath the door? <laughs> little fingers, right? Mom, I made you a card. You're like, I, how about you know? I don't want your card right now. I want you to be quiet for five seconds so I can collect my thoughts again. Jesus, after just going through calming the storm, healing a man who was violent and demon-possessed, he gets back over and is met instantly by a crowd of people. And Jesus is 
fame is spreading at this point. So he doesn't get a lot of solitary moments from this point moving forward. And here, as soon as he gets out of the boat, there's a crowd around him. And in that crowd is somebody who has something to ask Jesus that is rather important. This is what it says in verse 22. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Lots of people there for lots of different reasons. Some just the spectacle. They just want to see this Jesus. Some people, probably like Jairus, have something important to ask him. We can make the argument that no one has something as important though as Jairus does. As his daughter, who we learn from a different gospel, is 12 years old, is dying. And his belief is that if Jesus can get to her in time, she'll live. This is an emergency. Right? This is, you hit 911. Jesus, I need you here, and I need you here right now. So just remember that, because the story that we're going to focus on today is in the midst of this. This is the context of it. Jesus is going to, a, to Jairus' home for something that is really, really important. Okay? So Jesus is going, and the crowd is, of course, traveling with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So in the crowd, it isn't just Jairus who needs something from Jesus. We have this woman who is unnamed, who has been bleeding for 12 years, most likely menstrual bleeding. We don't know for sure, but most likely. Now, I know this world, our world's a little crazy, but I'm a male. I have never had a period. That's just a fact. I know there are some people in our world who don't believe that, but that is, in fact, a fact. So I cannot relate to this part of this story. Ladies, you can. What I, can, what I have observed from having a mother and being married is at that time, looks like it's miserable. It really does. Anytime you're losing blood, your energy levels are going to be low. You're just, you're, you're just not going to be the same. If, we, if men had to do this, by the way, we'd, all, we'd have died a long time ago. I'm not doing it. I can bleed from lots. I'm not bleeding for a whole week. Not doing it. Never going to happen. Promise. We like to think we're tough. We're just not quite that tough. I've seen childbirth. Not, not. I couldn't do it. But you couldn't give me enough drugs to get me to do that. And then you all do it again, which is the, uh, the first one I can understand. The second one, I'm like, Yo, you guys are crazy. Because you've been through the first one. I've been in the room and thought to myself, I'm glad this is, I'm glad I'm a dude right now. I'm glad I'm a male. Because this looks like this is hard. And it looks like it hurts a lot. She has been bleeding, probably having a constant period, menstruation, for 12 years. She has spent everything she has trying to find a cure. And it's gotten worse, not better. And so physically, we can imagine how, how tired she feels all the time, right? Just how exhausted she is. But we live in a different world than she lived in. Because she lives in a world where this condition has made her ceremonially unclean. And so because she is bleeding all the time, she is not able to go to synagogue. She's not able to go to the temple. And if someone comes in contact with her, just simply touches her 
or something that she's touched or said on, they are also unclean, and they for a week cannot participate in synagogue or temple. So for us, we, we think of the physical aspect of this, and it's huge for her, the physical toll it takes on her, but there is a spiritual and social toll as well. As she is essentially a leper. She has been outcast. She probably spends almost all of her time in her home, maybe even, depending, because remember, in this time and place, a whole family lived inside of a home. She probably spends most of her time in a single room, probably her bedroom. And that, to me, that it's, it's really important because if you think about what she does in this moment, we're going to read here in a second, it's pretty wild. But she, I think it's fair to say, is without hope. She's without hope. Here, by the way, is the, the clarification on why she is ceremonially unclean. You'll find this in Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25 to 27. It says this. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, other than her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean, as long as she has a discharge, just as in the days of her period. And the bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean, as is her bed during her monthly period. Anything she sits on will be unclean as during her period. Anyone who touches them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean until evening. So it isn't just about the physical part of it for her. Socially and religiously, she is unable to participate like a normal person would be. Now, we all should be able to, to feel her pain a little more because we went through COVID. And we did not spend 12 years locked up in a room. We spent like a couple weeks. And I don't know about how, how that was for you, but that was pretty miserable. I didn't realize, I don't think of myself as a very social person. Apparently I am. Because about after 10 days, I thought to myself, this is dumb. I need to go see people. So I just go to the grocery store and walk around. She has done this for 12 years. So if you can imagine the toll that that takes on a human being for 12 years, and we don't know how old she is. This could have happened from her first period on, or this could have developed later on in her life. No idea how old she is. All we know is for 12 years she has been isolated, alone, unable to participate in social events. She can't go somewhere because if she bumps into somebody or they bump into her, she has to then explain to them that they are now unclean and have to go through a whole process. She's hopeless until she hears about someone really, really special. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So as Jesus is going to an emergency, remember Jairus' 12-year-old daughter is dying, this woman is able to get through the crowd to Jesus and touches his cloak. Matthew's version and Luke's version add a detail that's really important for us. This is Matthew 9.20. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. Luke tells us she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. This is important because on the edge of the cloak that Jesus is wearing is something very powerful. Very important to Jewish people to this day, by the way. It comes from Numbers chapter 15. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. 
You will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. The book of Numbers, we hear that on the four corners of garment, you can think of it kind of like a poncho almost, right? That people, Jewish men are wearing in the first century. On every corner is to be a tassel with a blue cord in each tassel. And that tassel is there as a visual reminder because God knew, we're prone to forget, of the law, of obedience. Jewish people on their prayer shawls to this day, by the way, have these tassels. I'm going to have a picture for them of you in just a second. There's an up-close picture of this tassel, and you can see the tassel right here on this prayer shawl. That's somebody, a Jewish man at the wailing wall. See the tassel hanging down here? When Matthew and Luke tell us that she touches the edge of his garment, this is what she's touching. Jewish people know it as a tzitzit. It's the most sacred and holy part of the clothing that Jesus is wearing. And Jesus' cloak would have hung to about his knees in the first century. And so where is this woman when she touches the edge of Jesus' garment? She's on the ground. Because as she's made her way through this crowd, with little to no strength, she's, remember, she's been bleeding constantly for 12 years, she at some point is knocked to the ground in the midst of this crowd. Luke tells us, by the way, that the crowd was so great around Jesus that it began to crush him, a grown man. She, when she touches Jesus, is probably on her hands and knees because that's the only place she can get to him. There's no way she's touching him on, her, on his shoulder. She's not strong enough to push through the crowd. So I want you to imagine for just a second as this crowd of hundreds of people, most likely, has made, pushed themselves around Jesus, this woman trying to get to him, and what is she doing to every person she comes in contact with on the way? She's making them what? Yeah. But it's worth the risk, isn't it? Because she believes with every fiber of her being, if she can get to Jesus, she can be whole again. She can be made well. And so she does. In a fit of courage and strength that she doesn't possess, by the way. She doesn't have this type of strength. She is able to get to Jesus and touch the tassel on the edge of his garment. And when she does, she's made well. She's made whole again. She's at peace. Can you imagine, for just a second, what it must feel like for her? Now, she's got a problem. She has to get back to her feet and get out of there before she stomp, she's literally stomped to death, right? But in that instant where she can feel, that's what the Bible tells us, that she feels that she's okay, she's well again. She knows she's had this condition for 12 years. She's going to know when she feels better. That in the moment she touches this tassel, She's whole again. And she can now go through the process of going to the priest, making an offering and being made clean where she can go to synagogue, she can go to temple, she can go to the marketplace, she can leave her home without having to explain to people if she comes in contact with them what's going on. Jesus has made her well again. 
Think about that in the context of last week's story. Where Jesus sails, gets his disciples into trouble, right? A storm. To sail across to a region, a Gentile area, to heal what? One or maybe two men. Gets back in the boat, comes back, and is immediately met with an emergency. Has to try to get to Jairus' home to help save his 12-year-old daughter. And in the midst of all that, this happens. And look how Jesus responds. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? I love their response because they just don't get it yet, right? They're still a little dense, a little thick-skulled. I don't know, we don't know if it's Peter or it's everybody who says this. I always probably just assumed it's Peter because what does Peter love to do? Just put his foot in his mouth, right? I love Peter for it, by the way. He's willing to take a risk. He's willing to be the one that speaks up. I don't know if it's Peter or not, but he looks around at Jesus going, dude, are you ki-? there's been like 16 people who touched you in the last second. What do you mean who touched me? It's like being in a mosh pit and asking, who just bumped into me? Right? Or going to a concert and you're on the floor and going, hey, he, he, someone keeps touching me. It's like, yeah, the 20 people around you keep touching you. You're, you're in a crowd of people. Jesus knows that it isn't just a t- it's not just someone bumped against my shoulder. Someone touched me in what? In faith. He ignores the disciples' response because he thinks to himself, you guys, you knuckleheads still don't get it. Okay. Jesus kept looking around, verse 32, to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Why is she trembling with fear? What has she done to the rabbi? And everybody else who she came in contact with on her way to Jesus. She now has to explain to every one of them that she has made them what? Unclean. And so once again, she finds herself at the feet of Jesus, where we all ought to be, by the way. Not knowing what his response will be. He could say to her, how selfish of you for you to do that. Look at all these people now who have to go through the process of being made clean again so they can, you took, you took a week of their lives away from them now of being able to go to synagogue or the temple. Look what you've done to me. Remember, there's a crowd of people People touching Jesus all the time. Now, now, what's he supposed to do? Remember, whose house is he going to? Jairus, who, what's his job? He's a synagogue ruler. So if Jesus now enters his home, can Jairus go to work for a week? See how this got complicated really quick? So she is expecting, I think, I believe, a scolding from Jesus. Of How could you? How could you do this? How could you affect the lives of all these people just for you. But instead, the Savior of the world says what in verse 34? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Not you made me unclean, you made these people unclean. I can't believe you. He said, daughter, a word of intimacy, right? Your faith has healed you. Now that word healed in the Greek language is a fun word because it means a lot of things, including saved, by the way. Your faith has healed you. Sure has. I think her faith has also saved her. 
It's rescued her from a life of hopelessness. And then, in a very Jewish way, Jesus' response to her is what? Go in shalom. Go in peace. Now, every time we talk about peace, I have to say it, because I just, peace in our, in our definition and the Jewish consciousness is very different from each other. When we talk about being at peace, we talk about an absence of conflict. The Jewish idea of peace is much greater and larger and richer than that. The root word for the shalom gets its word from the word whole or complete. And so shalom, peace for a Jewish person, isn't just, hey, we're not fighting. Peace is an idea of wholeness or completeness. And what did Jesus just do for her? Unknowingly, it seems, as he's made her whole again. He's made her complete. Because the greatest lesson you and I could possibly learn in our lives is that without Jesus, we are not whole. We are not complete. That until we have him in our lives, we may be alive and we may be speaking and eating and doing all kinds of things, but we're not as we ought to be. Jesus has made all of us whole, by the way. He's made us all complete. Has given us all great peace. She has nothing to fear because our Savior in his great love, care, and gentleness responds to her in the best way possible. You're whole again. And so go act like it. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know. But whatever it is, Whatever it is, Jesus makes us whole. He makes us complete. You may not get the answer that you want. You may be praying for something that he says, that's not it. But our trust and our faith has to believe that God has our best interest in mind. That he loves us more than we could possibly ever understand or grasp. You think about this woman walking home, covered in dirt and dust, and the footprints of some people probably on her back. And I tell you all the time that you should be able to, to, to taste, smell, see, feel the Bible. Because that's the only way to make it come alive, is by putting yourself in the story. Make yourself this woman, and tell me how you're going home from this encounter with Jesus. That should be the way you leave this place every Sunday. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. The only way we can do that is because we're a family. And so we encourage and we're there and we support each other through whatever it is life is thrown our way. But every week when you leave this place, my hope is that you go... It's going to be okay. We're going to be all right. Because you are. Because you have him. And when you have this Jesus, you have everything you could ever need. As he, he, he got in a boat and crossed the lake for a naked guy running around a cemetery who's demon-possessed. If he'll cross a lake for him, 
what will he do for you? He came back, knowing the crowds awaiting him, knowing a synagogue ruler named Jairus and a woman who we don't know her name is waiting for him as well. And he joins into the crowd. He stops the entire crowd, by the way. Remember, we are on an emergency. Lights and sirens are blaring, and Jesus stops everything to speak to this woman. Not to embarrass her or shame her like she thought, but to do what? To restore her in public. The place where she has not been able to go for 12 years to be around other people. Jesus stops a crowd as a little girl is dying because this woman needs to know it's okay. That if she just slinks away and is healed, she isn't completely restored, is she? She needs to know that it's okay, that what she just did is all right with the Savior. That she should bear no shame for wading through that crowd to get to Jesus because that's what the whole crowd should be trying to do. It's what we should be trying to do. So as you leave this place today, whether you get to do it on your feet or on your hands and knees, crawl towards this Jesus with everything you have because he's our hope and our future. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the story of a woman we do not know her name, but a story of great faith. God, we can only imagine how weak she was as she tried to get herself to this Jesus through this crowd that is literally, Luke tells us, crushing him with little strength, physical strength, and scared to death that someone might find out that she's unclean, she makes her way to Jesus on hands and knees. She reaches out in faith to touch the edge of his garment, the tassel that is hanging down just below his knee. And when she does, everything changes. God, we are so grateful that this story has been preserved for us so we can read about the faith of this unknown woman that one day we'll get to meet in heaven, shake her hand, and ask, ask her every detail about this story. What an honor and a privilege it is, God, to open up your word today and to receive a message of healing, of faith, of what it looks like to love you with everything we have. And so, God, would you help us to be like this woman? God, when we are running low on hope, we're not quite sure what to do next. When the world is kicking us time and time again, help us to get to you no matter what. Help us put our pride aside, God. We often think we can handle it ourselves. I, I got this one. I don't need to bother God with this. Help us to put all that aside and come to you. Because you are where we find healing and strength. Because you and you alone are our Savior. So Father, we thank you for the great love that Jesus showed this woman. We're thankful for the great love he shows to us. We pray all this in the powerful and healing name of your son Jesus and all God's people said. Amen.